0: to sing these beautiful songs and to be able to approach Him in prayer, to remember His Son and do the things that He's asked us to do to help one another go to heaven and to glorify Him. Thank you for being here today. We do have visitors and we're so thankful that you're here among us. We pray that you'll be blessed by being in our assembly today and that you, as we do, count it a privilege to be in the presence of God to honor Him. Our theme this year at Eastside is focused on being a house of prayer, God said that his house would be a house of prayer for all nations. So we're focusing on that as God's people here at Eastside, striving to to pray more effectively, to draw closer to God, to um, have a closer communication relationship with him, uh, but also to empower our prayers to make a difference in this world because certainly as God answers our prayers, Uh, much is done that is good through his great power. This morning we're going to talk about being constant in prayer. The scriptures encourage us to have an active, consistent prayer life. If I took a poll this morning, I'm not doing that, but I've asked you to raise your hand and say, raise your hand if you feel like you pray as much as you should and as consistently as you should, we would have probably no hands. (laughs) Because I think most Christians, even the strongest of Christians, uh, understand that there's room for improvement in our prayer lives. Many of us, myself included, would like to be more consistent than we are in our prayer lives and to, to, to feel like we have this approach to God that is faithful to him and is what we need in our lives. And so the scriptures encourage this and and encourage us to to strive for that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul writing there, uh, that we as Christians should be praying always. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, of course, he says, pray without ceasing. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Among some other admonitions there that Paul is giving to Christians, he tells us to be rejoicing in hope and be patient in tribulation. And then at the end of that verse, he says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. The English Standard Version says, be constant in prayer. To be authentic as a Christian. We know that we want to be and ought to be diligent and disciplined in our prayer lives. Someone said some long time ago that to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is such an essential part of our relationship with God. Communication, I've said in times past, communication waters the grass of the greenest relationships. The people that you are close to are the people that you communicate with the best. And our relationship with God, for it to be lush and green and growing and vibrant, needs to be a relationship of communication, where we listen to him speak to us in his word, and we speak to him continually in prayer. Prayer is our relationship with God, what it ought to be. So this morning, let's think about how can we develop or improve a consistent Persistent and sufficient personal prayer life. There are three concepts I want to start with, and then we'll illustrate these by looking at some Bible characters a little later in the lesson. The constant prayer is produced by three things. First of all, it's produced by a, a realization of our dependence on God. If you understand, really understand, that you are dependent on God for everything, You'll be talking to him a lot about that. <laughs> that, that you have, you can't breathe a breath. You, you can't accomplish anything. You wouldn't have life at all or any blessing were it not for the God of heaven. You are and I am entirely dependent on God all the way down to our very existence. When, when we really get down and dig down and understand that to the core of our being, we're going to be a prayerful people when we understand our full dependence upon, upon Him. It's a matter of faith in Him and faith in who He is. In Psalm 65 and verse 2, the psalmist writes, O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. What does he mean, to you all flesh should will come? Is he talking about the end of time and the judgment day there? I don't think so. I think he's talking about in prayer. And you say, well, Steve, there are lots of people that don't pray. Maybe there are. But it seems to me there are lots of people who say they don't pray, who all of a sudden get really religious and pray when something tragic happens, or when the need comes to them, or when they realize that they are dependent on God for things that they cannot supply. It reminds you again of the football game that occurred a couple of months ago where Uh, The player went down and apparently had a heart issue right in the middle of a game. And everybody in the stadium and everybody on the field and probably many people who said that they were atheists all of a sudden were all praying. My dad told the story of an individual that he knew who was uh, suffering and in fact about to die and came out of his mouth. Oh God, if there be a God, help me now. The man said all of his life he was an atheist. I don't know if there are any real atheists, frankly. Uh, But if there are, that's going to end for sure. My point, though, is what's the psalmist saying here? You who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. And that is because, whatever else he may be saying there, that all flesh is dependent upon God. All flesh comes to God because all flesh is dependent upon Him. And so an attitude of independence, where we think we can handle things ourselves and we're responsible for all of the good that's in our lives, that kind of attitude of independence is the enemy of prayer. If you have that independent, I did it my way sort of spirit, you're not likely to be a very prayerful person. Not sincerely, not really. The more we identify and embrace our dependence on God, the more we're going to come to him for help. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 73 and verse 25, Whom have I I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I need help in my life uh, for all kinds of reasons and for all kinds of things. And I look around Uh, Well, there's nobody here that can supply all of that. And I look up in heaven. uh, Well, there's nobody up there that can supply all that except God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nobody on earth that can help me. So what are you going to do? You're going to pray to God. The more you understand that, the more you feel your personal dependence upon the God of heaven. secondly... Desire causes us to pray. Embracing dependence upon God produces a desire to pray because He is the one we need and He is the provider of all we need. Therefore, we have this desire. We, in our lives, all of us, do the things that we desire to do, don't we? If you really want to do something, you're likely to figure out a way to do that. Most of us, about three times a day, have a desire to eat. And, and we really, with a pretty consistent habit, figure out a way to do that. Sometimes it's a good bit more than three times a day, right? We, we can figure out how to get it done when we have a desire to do it. And so it is with prayer. Prayer. If our lives are not marked by prayer, it's usually, friends, it's usually not because we do not know how to pray. We may not know how to pray, but that's not the reason that we're not praying. It's usually not because we don't have time to pray. And we may be very, very busy. But when our prayer life is not consistent or maybe non-existent, it's, it's not because we don't know how to pray. Not at the root of it. It's not because we don't have time to pray. Your busy schedule is, is not the reason you're not praying. You, there may be some sitting here today thinking, when I started this, we're saying, yeah, I'd like to pray more, but I'm just so busy. No, that's not the reason you're not praying more. It's not. You know the reason you're not praying more? Because you don't want to. Because if you desired to do it, you would do it. The Bible is pretty clear about that concept. We do the things we desire to do. When Jesus' disciples came to him in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, they perhaps didn't really understand what a good prayer was all about, what God expected of them in prayer, and it's a great request. Teach us to pray. Let's learn about how to pray. But notice in the question itself, there was desire already, right? (laughs) They wouldn't have asked that if they didn't want to. And that's why I say it's it's not about you don't know how to, because if you want to, you'll go learn how to. You'll do what the disciples did Lord, teach me to pray. You see, if you want to, it all gets back to want to. In Zechariah chapter 8, there's a great passage. The prophet there picturing the time to come when God's people uh, would be enjoying the, the reign of the Messiah and describes an infectious desire to pray that would exist among the people of God. I'd like to read this to you Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 21. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue. To go and pray before the Lord. Notice that phrase. Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord. And seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. And to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days ten men from every language of the nations. Shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Obviously, a a prophecy of the kingdom to come that would be issued in by the the Messiah that would begin with the the Jewish people who were the first ones to become Christians. And on that day of Pentecost, there were Jews from every nation under heaven present, it says in Acts chapter 2. And by the end of the day, 3,000 of them were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins and became Christians. And we learn that they continued in prayer from that day forward. That's what that's a prophecy of. But you see the desire, the enthusiasm. We can go pray to God. Let's go pray to God. Let's continue to go pray to God. They are making God's house into what God intended for his house to be, a house of prayer. That's what that prophecy is about, and that's what we should fulfill today, even at Eastside. When you go over a little later in the book of Acts, you see see this a little bit throughout the book of Acts, how how much of a praying people they were, and we've talked about several examples already this year but go over to Acts 12 and you remember the story that uh, Herod had uh, slain James the brother of John and that pleased the Jews and so he thought well if that if they like that just wait for this I'll, I'll arrest Peter and after the Passover I'll, I'll kill Peter too and so he arrests Peter he puts him in prison he's under under guard and of course an angel of the Lord uh, will come and break greatest prison break of all time right The angel of the Lord comes and gets Peter out of prison. But notice as this is going on in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, the text says that Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The church had become a house of prayer. Why? They loved Peter. Peter meant the world to them. Many of them were probably Christians because of a sermon that Peter preached, many sermons that he preached. Why are they praying? They're desiring something for their brother Peter. They're desiring his release and his, his safe keeping by God. Constant prayer. What kind of prayer? Constant prayer. Why was it constant? Because they desired to pray. Your prayers will be constant when you desire to pray. And often the prayer isn't for you. It's for somebody you love. It's for something you love. It's for some cause you love. That's where the desire comes from. A little later, of course, Peter is released from prison by the angel. He makes his way. Acts chapter 12. To uh, the house of Mary, the mother of John. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. After being released, Peter came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Constant prayer being made by the church. So constant prayer is produced by dependence, by desire, and by discipline. Even with an awareness of our dependence on God and a desire for prayer that that grows from it, consistent prayer cannot and will not be maintained apart from personal discipline, self discipline. We must make prayer a priority, a strong prayer plan. I'm going to do this this way. We're going to guard the time that we've set aside to pray. All of that is a matter of discipline. We have to ask ourselves questions, and so there's mental work to be done here. That, again, requires discipline. I'm going to have to turn off the TV. I'm going to have to get my mind off other things to think for a while about who am I going to pray for? What are their needs? What am I going to pray about? Where am I going to pray? When am I going to pray? Those things aren't going to just happen until you decide they're going to happen. You have to do that. That's that's a process you must go through. And again, it's a process of discipline. Those kinds of questions must be answered if we're going to grow in the quantity and quality of our prayers. Constant dependence on God produces constant prayer. I'd like you to look back in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, His is just one life of faith that we have recorded in the New Testament uh, of someone who had a tremendous prayer life. And Nehemiah has impressed me a lot, and I've used him as an example over the years of the kind of prayer life that that a Christian ought to have, that's constant, constant in prayer. Nehemiah is in captivity. Uh, He's not so much... uh, still among captives, but he has remained in the land of the captivity, and he's serving the Persian king Artaxerxes. In fact, he's his cupbearer. Uh, He gets some news from some of the captives that have gone back to Jerusalem about how things are going with his brethren, and they're not going well. The the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Uh, God's people are exposed to the other people of the land, and they're just not doing very well. And Nehemiah gets this report, and it affects him deeply. And he begins to pray about it, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel. What's what's motivating Nehemiah's prayer? He loves his people. He loves God's people. He needs something. He needs to help them. He sees that. and he knows that he can't help them without God's help. He's driven to his needs, knees by his needs. And that is often the case with us. A few months later, he has an opportunity, as he's serving before King Artaxerxes to talk with the king about this need. He's before the king and he's sad because of what's going on with his brethren over in Jerusalem. And the king said to me, in verse 4 after the king says, why are you so sad? uh, The king says to me, well, what do you request? What do you want me to do? And it's really interesting right here that in the middle of this conversation between Nehemiah and the king. Nehemiah stops and prays to the real king, the one who's really going to grant this request if it's granted. And he says, right in the middle of all this, so I prayed to the God of heaven. The the king of Persia could help Nehemiah a lot, but Nehemiah knew his ultimate king and the one who would grant this request or not is the God of heaven he was dependent not on the king who was standing before him but on the king who is in heaven we need to realize this day by day you know again Nehemiah didn't have this view well I've got got an end to this person who's going to be able to help me out I've got a way of figuring this out so I can make it all work out Nehemiah realized he wasn't going to make anything work out unless God blessed him Unless God made it work out. He is dependent upon God. And when you go forward, Nehemiah, of course, goes back to Jerusalem. The king does grant him leave to go and actually sends guards and supplies. Supplies, I should say, at least with him. Nehemiah refuses the guards. But you get back to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And he's there in Jerusalem, even though despised and persecuted by the people of the land. um, They're standing against him. They're trying to do everything they can to thwart his efforts. Uh, He mentions some of them in the context, standing against what he's trying to accomplish. But in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 4, he prays again. He says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their approach on their own heads. These are the enemies of God's people he's talking about. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Uh, Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So here they are trying to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They have all these people, enemies, around them trying to thwart that. And yet Nehemiah realizes If we're going to be able to do this, if we're going to be able to stand against the the enemies of God, we're going to need God's help. It's not going to be by our own might. It's not going to be by our own cleverness that we're going to be able to stand. It's it's going to be because God helps us. And so he says, as a result of this, we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. That's Nehemiah 4, verses 4 through 6. In verse... uh, Seven, the enemies of God's people are named. Some of them, Sanballat, Tobiah, Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdodites, they heard the walls of Jerusalem, and so uh, they became angry. All of them conspired to come together and attack us, verse 7, and create confusion. Verse 9 says, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. The first thing was to make their prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah's praying, but also doing according to his prayers. A great lesson right there, right? If you want to pray about something, you need to meld it together with an act of faith. If you're going to pray for rain, carry an umbrella, right? (laughs) So that's that's what they're doing here. They're praying for God to protect them, but then they're uh, doing what they need to do to set up uh, a ring of safety around the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 6 and verse 9, you see something similar. For the enemies of God's people were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will, be, will not be done. And Nehemiah just turns and prays to God right then and there. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. As you study Nehemiah as a character, you realize what a, what a really strong person he was. He was an amazing leader, uh, uh, an encourager of, uh, of men to get people to do what they had been previously unwilling and unable to do. Uh, he, he, they, they built this entire wall around the city in 52 days. Uh, most all of you realize this story. I'm not telling you anything much new, but all of it, all of it, happened because God made it happen. And Nehemiah knew that. There's never a place in the book of Nehemiah where he says, oh, this all happened because of what I did. He's always realizing his dependence upon God. We need to do the same. In everything we're trying to do, in everything we're trying to accomplish for good in this world, realize your dependence upon God. Secondly, constant discipline produces constant prayer. Let's think about that. We have a couple of great examples of those who had a regular prayer time. Uh, There are more than just a couple, but Daniel and David come to mind immediately. When you go over to the book of Daniel, Daniel's lived a long time in Babylonian captivity, over 70 years apparently already when we come to Daniel chapter 6. Darius is the king, and uh, Darius likes Daniel. He makes him one of the three great governors of the entire realm. And uh, because of that, a lot of the other leaders in uh, Babylon were jealous of Daniel. And so they plot to uh, have him taken out, basically, and they have the king pass this ordinance, this law, that nobody can pray to anybody else but the king. And the king unwittingly signs the law. If you prayed to somebody else, you'd be thrown to the den of, in the den of lions. And, and yet, Daniel, he learns that the writing is signed. He goes, the text tells us, in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, that, that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And let me just stop there, and you're going to say, if you don't know the story, you might say, well, Daniel's just showing off, you know. He, he, he's just being rebellious. The king said you can't pray to anybody else, or he signed this law, said you can't pray to anybody else. And Daniel just, he's being rebellious. He's going, to, I'll show you, and I'm opening my windows, and I'm going to pray three times today uh, just to show you. And that's not what's happening, because the next line says, as was his custom since early days. He'd been doing this three times a day for 70 years. That's what you call a real regular schedule. That's being constant in prayer. Daniel wasn't going to give it up just because it was inconvenient, might get him into trouble. Three times a day, every day, for... Seventy years, if not more. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of discipline. The same is true of David. He writes in Psalm 55 and verse 17, evening and morning and, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice evening, morning and at noon. Three times a day. Paul also had a similar discipline, I think, in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul also mentions praying night and day. Evidently, he had times at night and times in day when he would pray on a regular basis. And that brings us to this third aspect of developing a constant life of prayer, constant concern for people, this desire Uh, that we have for the well-being of those that we love. Constant concern for people produces constant prayer. And I'd encourage you to keep a list, a mental list at least, and probably if you could write something down somewhere or have a list of people and things to pray about. This really helps with the discipline aspect. It helps you keep these people in your heart and mind going forward. But Paul consistently prayed with specific people in mind. Uh, both churches and individuals. If you read Paul's epistles, about 13 of them, I think, you'll find prayer mentioned in every one of his epistles. Every one. He talks about prayer. And in many of them, he talks about the frequency of his prayer life and those for whom he's praying. Let me just give you a few examples of that. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Colossians 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, so far he said, I'm praying for all of the Romans and I'm praying for all of the Colossians. Philippians 1 and verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. Philemon, verses 4 and 5, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, and toward all the saints. You get a feeling he sure prayed a lot. And for a lot of people. And that he did this constantly. Continually. Without ceasing. I want you to know this is hard to do. I'm not fooling around. I find it extremely challenging to do what we have Paul exemplifying here. I have brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation, all of whom cross my mind, and I pray for it time from time to time, depending on your needs and what I know about them. But I want to tell you what, it's a it's a challenge to keep just the ones in this congregation in my mind and in my prayers constantly. I know of a lot of other congregations in this world, have had personal relationships with a lot of different people who are Christians, probably not as many as Paul, and I'll just say I don't know how he did it. Facebook is helping me a lot in that I get messages from a lot of people in a lot of churches uh, on a daily basis that reminds me of what their needs are and what my concerns for them are. And even then, someone or something will slip my mind even if I've written it down. I'm just telling you, oh, Steve, you're, you're talking about something that's really, really hard to do. I'm just telling you, I understand that. <laughs> it's Really, really hard to do. But to me, if we love folks, and we do, and we want the best for our brethren here and elsewhere, wherever elsewhere may be, we're going to want to pray for them. And it's that loving desire for their well being that keeps us motivated. That helps us to be constant in prayer. Paul's prayers included supplication, intercession, and thanksgiving for people all the time. And he exhorts us to pray in exactly the same way. That's the challenge before me and you this morning. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And here he includes now not only Christians, not only loved ones in Christ, but of course he includes kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, the command is this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, that means awake and alert and continuing in it, praying always, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's a tall order. But that's the order for all the saints. You may ask, how am I going to make a list that big? (laughs) How can I even begin to get that great amount of people in my mind and in my heart and include them in my prayers? Well, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort on your part. A great place to start for members here at Eastside is your directory of the members here at Eastside, which, by the way, you can access online if you go to the members area. There's an online directory. You can see everybody's name, address, and information. That's a good place to start. Rob does a really good job in our bulletin every week of having those who are sick especially and need special prayers, those who are shut in, those who are facing particular problems. Make, make sure you have a copy of that bulletin. We need to get, get a copy of that every week. Go home and pray that list of names, that list of needs, all through the week. Those are just starting places. I want you to be, as I am, overwhelmed, with the challenge and the opportunity to have a prayer life that is constant. I haven't even talked in this lesson about the need that you have for praying for forgiveness of your own sins or the sins of others or for the temptations that you're facing. All of that gets back to our dependence on God, doesn't it? In my mind, probably the busiest person who ever lived, the person who had more on his heart and his mind at any moment than anybody who ever lived, was Jesus Christ. I I don't know how anybody could have had more on his heart and mind that concerned him. I don't know of anybody that loved people more than Jesus loved them. I don't know anybody that lived a busier life, Jesus in the gospel of Luke chapter 5 and verse 15 the report went around concerning him all the more after he'd done some miracles and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness to pray The busier he got, the more he found time to pray, not the less. The more pressures there were, the more people there were in need, the more he found time to pray. Jesus took the time. Instead of being too busy to pray, he was too busy not to. I heard a story several years ago of a pioneer preacher, this is something that's come to my mind often. Back in the days where the preachers would, you know, get on their horse at six o'clock in the morning and ride however many miles and preach at one place, and then they ride however many miles, preach at another, and may preach at five or six congregations, going on horseback the whole time. There were preachers in North Alabama that did that, by the way, and probably some of your uh, longtime Uh, old relatives became Christians because of one particular that I knew of that went all around North Alabama on a horse for a long time and then his horse died and the brethren wouldn't buy him another horse and so he had to go by foot. Uh, And still he did. Back in the 1800s. But having said all of that, I read about such a pioneer preacher a number of years ago, heard about him. And he wrote in his journal, I have much to do tomorrow, And he wrote about, you know, I need to get up and ride and go to this church and this church and this church. I should be up by five in the morning to do all of this. So I will arise at four to pray. That's the kind of heart it takes. To be constant in prayer. Let that be our heart. Thank you so much for listening this morning. May God bless us all as we strive to grow closer to him in prayer. This morning there might be somebody here who is just not close to God at all in this moment. Maybe you haven't even talked to God in the last, you don't know when you've last talked to him. There may well be somebody sitting here this morning exactly there. And if that's your case, won't you come back to him? His arms are wide open come to him. Confess your fault. If you're having trouble with a desire to pray, may I suggest to you that now or immediately after this service is over, you pray a prayer like this. God, I'm coming to you in prayer. Please forgive me for not wanting to pray to you in times past. If in any way we can help you, please come while we stand and while we sing.